Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, We will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gavriel Hakohen. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Gavi. I'm here with my BFF and co-host, Sadie Carpenter. How you doing, Sadie? I am hanging in there. You're hanging in Yeah, that's about all we can say. I read the news today. Oh, boy. What did you read on the news today? Oh no, that was just because I saw uh, Paul McCartney play. Oh, you're doing the Monday. you're doing the song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, four thousand holes in Blackburn, Lancashire. That's what I saw in the news today. Um, nothing else and about anything upsetting. No, there at is nothing, nothing, nothing upsetting or scary in the news right now. Yeah, we live in a fantasy world <laughs> where uh, nothing bad ever happens. And you got to see Paul McCartney, and the world is great. Yeah, and the, he didn't play that song, but. We are talking about a day in the life, um, not a day in Paul's life, not a day in my life, but a day in your life, Sadie. Uh, what, tell us what we're talking about today. So today um, we are going to cross off everybody's bingo card in the Sadie triggers herself category <laughs> because we are going to talk about 
my average day as a high schooler in the IFB. So being the child of an IFB pastor, going to an IFB school, uh, working on the weekends in an IFB church. So what we're going to do the first half on a school day, a weekday, and then we're going to do the second half on a weekend day. We're going to talk about what I did on the weekends. It's going to be so much fun. That is going to be super fun. Um, But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We seek to educate and to inform our listeners about the dangers of this cult and other cults and the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there are many, 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 many things that you can do in order to support us. One thing that you can do is you can join our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where you will get access to extended and uncensored versions of all of our episodes or most of our episodes. Not all of them have bonus content. Most of them do. You can Go to our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, where you can hang out and interact with other fans of the show, share memes, share stories, good stuff. You can go to our subreddit, same sort of thing, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Oh, I should say the Facebook group is also called Eden Exodus. So go there and find it. Uh, we are once again taking submissions for stories to be read on the podcast. This time it is for Pride Month. So if you grew up as an LGBTQ plus person in the IFB, in any oppressive religious movement, uh, we would love to hear your stories about queerness and deconstruction and what that was like for you. We are certainly accepting anything from victory stories to Uh, sad stories, stories of difficulty. We want to hear all of it. If you are sending us your story, it is a submission to be read on the podcast. So please make sure you let us know what name you want us to use for you. If that's different than the name in your email, if you only want your first name read, if you'd like a pseudonym, we do that a lot. Also, let us know what your pronouns are so that we can make sure we refer to you correctly when we read your story. I want to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, all these people who uh, go the extra mile to really help us keep the lights on. Your names are Andrew Rocant, Brittany, Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kater Wee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm getting too high. Voice-wise, I'm completely sober. I thought that was um, the Missions Madness episode. <laughs> uh, Megan Arndt, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Rob the Methodist, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Pastor Robert Stutes, Reverend Robert Stutes, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Yeehaw. Thank you so much to all of our patrons and a special thank you to our Faith Promise Missions patrons. We really appreciate you. Yes, we do. So, Sadie. Yes, that's me. 
that is you. In in and I think an early episode of our show, like way back when we first started doing it, you said something that really stuck with me. You said that the IFB is a cult that takes your health, your money, and your time. Yes. And very much so on all of those things. I think one of the key ways that they steal your health is by keeping you so busy and by stealing the time. Of course, we've talked about being so busy that you don't have time to think, time to research. So you accept the answers that you're given. And that's a a common characteristic of cults that's very true for the IFB. And of course, sleep deprivation makes you more suggestible. So that's another culty reason for the IFB to keep you busy enough that you don't get proper rest. But a side effect of this culty behavior is that you also don't have time to improve your health or improve your financial situation. Yeah. So obviously, if you've got 11 teen kids from being fundy, you're not going to have any time or money for anything. You know, right. You're going to have 11 teen kids and no money. What? Why can't I have no kids and 11 teen money? <laughs> Here's the question that what if you're not old enough to have 11 teen kids yet? So if you are young, you're told that it is the prime time for you to serve the Lord. The IFB <laughs> teaches to spend your years before getting married working as much as you possibly can. The reason that they give is that once you start raising a family, you won't have the time. Of course, the hidden reason is that it keeps young people too busy to find time to think outside the box or rebel, and it also gives you no time to, you know, ring the devil's doorbell. So... <laughs> So, big shout out to Amy from our Facebook group. She suggested an episode on a day in my life as a fundy. Other group members said that they would enjoy that. So here we are. Today, we're just going to go through a typical weekday and a typical weekend day from the perspective of when I was in high school. So we're looking around the time I was 16. We'll have a follow-up episode where we talk about a day in my life when I was a student at Hiles Anderson College. I think It's a great idea. Thank you, Amy, for suggesting this. Um, I like when we get to do listener-suggested episodes, and this one was so good we had to do it twice. <laughs> And I think this will actually give me a lot of insight into what that fundy life was like, because I I mean, Sadie tells me stories and stuff, but I don't think I fully grasp it. Like still, even after two years, you know, of us doing the show. Without further Apu, Sadie, why don't you take us through the life of 16-year-old you? Let's do it. So uh, let's start by talking about a a school day. We've talked before about the IFB being really big on personal daily devotions. So I would try to wake up early to read my Bible and pray before school. To be honest, I always really struggled with this. I just, I did not want to wake up 30 minutes early to read my Bible. I just didn't. Yeah, that's what you were telling me. It was Bible before breakfast. Right. The expectation would be that your quote unquote walk with God was the first thing you did every morning. The expectation was also to read through the Bible every year, and you need to do about three or four chapters a day to get all the way through. I had so much guilt about this. It is, it's honestly still hard for me to admit that I struggled with this. It's like a New Year's resolution. So you start off the year strong, and then you fall behind somewhere in Second Chronicles, and then it's literally the rest of the year trying to catch up and just hating yourself for not being on track. Oh, so it's like when you go to the gym in January and suddenly it's full of people 
And then by Valentine's Day, it's back to normal. It's exactly like that, except you have to pretend that you're on track or other people will judge you. So then it becomes a dirty secret that you fell behind. I would literally cry and pray for forgiveness over getting behind on this. Wow. Man, so like, are, are you like strategically moving the bookmark, you know, in order to make sure like if somebody's looking, they'll think that you're caught up? Uh, I would do things like that, but then I would feel worse for lying. I just want to say I probably read the Bible more now than I ever did as a fundy because now I'm not stuck to one translation and I can compare multiple translations together and not have the pressure of reading on a schedule. No, I absolutely know what you mean with like, like if you're moving the pages around to make, you know, and I was trying to like make sure that if my parents looked at my notebook, they'd think that I'd done my homework because like they were always on me about that. Of course, the difference is that I didn't feel bad about lying to them because I knew that they'd eventually find out when the report card came. So yeah, I mean, th- this is just the the status of your eternal soul. That's what's on the the line here. So, well, no, because you go to heaven because you got saved, not because you read the Bible. But it it is a big deal. But it, so, is it cheating to use an audiobook? Using an audiobook counts as reading the Bible, but it doesn't count as your like required everybody should do this every day reading. So using an audiobook can count toward getting through the Bible in a year if you do that on audiobook, but you still need to read the Bible every day. And at least 30 minutes a day is recommended. Like with your eyes. Yes. Why? That's that's so infuriating. Well, it's 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 ableist, right? Because lots of people have neurodivergence of one kind or another that would make reading the Bible for 30 minutes at a time difficult or impossible. Or like, what if your vision isn't that great or uh, you don't happen to be a sighted person? Although I I would absolutely not put it past the IFB to like make a blind person try to read the Bible like with their eyes and then parade them around being (laughs) like, God is healing the brother wilson's sight by allowing him to read only the bible hallelujah hallelujah excuse me (laughs) if you actually can't read you can use an audiobook i swear you know if you grow up in ace there's a good chance that you can't read oh i mean i'm not am i wrong I would like for you to be wrong. <laughs> it seems like it it just seems un, like an unnecessary time sink. Cuz like if you use an audiobook though, you can listen to the Bible while you're driving to work or you can listen while you're sitting at the table eating breakfast or while you're doing chores or while you know you're on the bus. All of that would be recommended, but it doesn't count as reading your Bible because like for the like you have to read it every day portion of being a fundy. The time sink wasn't what bothered me, though. What bothered me was the early morning requirement. I am just not a person early in the morning. So I did not appreciate because I wasn't like I wasn't getting anything out of reading my Bible and praying early in the morning. You're too tired to mean it. Yeah, (laughs) it it was just going through the motions. I did have the rest of my early morning pretty easy, though, because my house was on the same property as the church. So I would just get ready, put on my uniform, walk across the alley and be at church or be at the church, which was also the school 
for opening assembly. Yeah, man, I get you. I, I grew up, I lived uh, two blocks from my high school. I was always still five minutes late to first period, but you know. At my school, like, if you were late, you got demerits. Didn't you get in trouble for being late? Sometimes. You're, but your dad was the principal, so they'd know. Well, there were also like 30 kids in my school, so it's pretty easy to pick out if somebody's late. Yeah. Did your school have opening assembly or like a, like something you had to do every morning? No. Oh, okay. No, what's that? What what's opening assembly? Tell me about that. So this is, I think, I think this is pretty universal to funding schools. The first fifteen minutes or so of the school day was an assembly. At different times during my education, quote unquote education, it was in the classroom where we did ACE, or sometimes it would be in the main church auditorium or another room of the building, the church building that we also used as the school building. I mean, you couldn't skip it because, no. like, I honestly. Like, that sounds like kind of a waste of time. No, it was mandatory. Skipping was not an option. Right. I guess, yeah, your school only had a few kids. It's too small for you to skip. Like, if I was late to gym class or if I skipped gym, there were 60 people in my gym class. So There were more people in your gym class than the largest my school ever was. (sighs) So all grades from kindergarten to senior in high school, the biggest my school ever was, was like 40 41 people yeah okay yeah see my school it was just a uh, 9 through 12 and there's like 14 or 1500 kids so that's that's crazy to me yeah <laughs> public schools baby it, it was public school so like kids were like unruly you know they're making noise they're yelling at each other they're like throwing papers and and crumpled up paper and and shooting rubber bands at each other in the hallway like and and just generally being hard to keep track of so if there like ever was an assembly i i think that like probably a quarter of the kids would just skip it it's hard for me to understand a world where kids and teenagers can't just be forced to do things like where mandatory doesn't mean mandatory okay so so this is the thing like usually assemblies would be at the end of the day or they'd be right before lunch. So I'd either skip it and go to lunch early or I'd skip it and go home early. And then if my mom asked why I was home early, I'd just say I skipped the assembly. And she would probably say something like, you shouldn't skip assemblies. They might have something important to say. And then I would, but I like wouldn't get in trouble for it. But like, if you think about it logistically, if you're a school, like at the time, at least they were chronically underfunded. I think maybe like 30, 35 kids in a classroom and then the assembly is about to start and you have to all go out into the hallway and all go to the auditorium. There's 200 people in the hallway. Like, what are you going to do if some people just like slip out the door? Like you you can't really do it. Like, are you going to go to the gym or the auditorium and like, you know, see the dance team perform or whatever? Or are you going to, I don't know, go get some pizza? Like, I don't know. I, I sometimes it maybe like go to the theater teacher's room because she was chill and she didn't care. Uh, shouts out to Trisha. In, in like for IFB assembly. So we had opening assembly in the morning and everybody just had to be there. But if we had another, like when we had chapel, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, if a student wasn't there, one teacher would stay in the chapel and supervise the other 29 of us. And all the other teachers would spread out all over the entire building until they located that student. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then that person would probably get yelled at in front of everybody. And in in, in in IFB world, there are so few of you that if you're if you're trying not to do something you're supposed to do, there's teachers in the hallway screaming at you like the drill sergeants in any movie ever where somebody joins the army. You know the vibe? Yeah. And if you don't in IFB world as well, if you don't listen to them, they can do anything 
come to you. They can have your parents come in and beat you. They can say, okay, you don't get to talk at school for a month. They can make you clean the toilets. You you don't get to talk in school for a month. Yeah. That's like a common IFB punishment. How It's ACE. How, you don't need to talk. And like the, the classroom monitors know who isn't, who isn't, isn't allowed to talk. Yeah. Because there's like 30 kids in the school. What? How, they, they tell you, you are not allowed to, to speak with your, what? That is. Yeah. Or they can just suspend or expel you. Man, that sounds better than not being allowed to talk. I'm going to be honest. Go to public school. Oh, people would try Uh, to get suspended on purpose all the time because they wanted out of the school so bad. But then they have ways to keep you in the school and make your life more miserable. Like what? Like They will. I mean, Gabby, they will have your parents. I don't want to get into this too much because I want to make a special episode for it. That they will have your parents come in and beat you. Wow, that's up uh, man oof man every time i hear about ifb schools i am just astounded at the fact that this is somehow legal so I, <laughs> we're just going to continue my day and you can continue to be astounded yeah that's what we're going to do i i just so uh man. at assembly we would start the day with prayer and the pledge of allegiance And then after the Pledge of Allegiance, we would also do the Pledge to the Christian Flag, Pledge to the Bible, and Pledge to the local church, of all things. And then we'd sing a patriotic song, and then there would be announcements, there might be a couple songs or a Bible verse and devotions. After assembly, I got to actually do school. So before we switch to a Becca with ACE, you just, you go to your desk, and I think I've described that pretty well. You sit there, you work through your paces, you put up your flag when you need something. I think we got two short breaks per day where we all went out at the same time in little lines like a mama duck walking with her babies to like go use the restroom. And then we got lunch and recess, which I think lunch and recess were fairly normal, except for the part where we all had to walk everywhere into perfectly straight like boys line, girls line and getting yelled at if we didn't walk perfectly straight. You still had recess when you were in high school? No, recess was sixth grade and under, but we still had to walk in straight lines at times when the whole school was going to the same place. Like when everybody was going to lunch and leaving lunch, we had to line up in height order in two straight lines and walk, Mm. which is weird. (laughs) That is weird. That's very like a thing that you do if you're in like second grade. Yes. But they're not going to punish you if you're like fucking around in line. You're going to like. Yeah. It's like a weird like Von Trapp family military school thing. Because they think they're like, they're all about the aesthetics, aren't they? Yeah. Of like. hmm. Yeah. So once we switch to a Becca, though, which is more contemporary to the time that we're actually talking about in this episode, I think our class schedule was more normal. Uh, Like you'd have class and a quick break to go to the next class and you'd have like a couple classes and then chapel and then lunch and then a couple more classes. We had study halls like normal people. It was a little bit more regular after we switched to a Becca. Did you guys have gym class? We did. We did not have any kind of qualified gym teacher, but they tried, I think, to make it like a regular school. Um, (laughs) So Jim was always the last. The boat sailed on that one. Yeah. um, Jim was always the last period of the day because the school did not have shower facilities. So it had to be the last period of the day. Uh, we split into high school and elementary and we what we did for gym is we'd spend like six weeks at a time or more doing a particular sport. 
which I think is how they do in like normal schools, right? You'll have yeah. like six weeks of square dancing and six weeks of basketball and six weeks of whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll do like so we, hockey. Yeah, like we did try yeah. to do that, but there was not a qualified gym teacher. So it was just some guy, like some IFB dude Googling how to play the sport and then trying to teach <sighs> us skills. Uh, I My main memory from gym class uh, is that they made us do calisthenics and laps for warm up. Like if you've ever seen a Zumba class like that, like lined up shoulder width apart across the field and the, the, everybody would do 20 squats at once and then everybody would do 50 jumping jacks at once and everybody would do 10 toe touch like that. And then yeah. we had to run laps. Like, you still owe me 10 Iroquois twists? Yeah, it, it was like that. And I hated it so God. much. And I'm going to tell you why, but I have to do like a CW for um childhood trauma and chest binding and like weird modesty stuff. So, oh no. Yeah, like take a breather and make sure that's okay content for you today. So I hated this calisthenics because I had to bend over in front of men and like that's sinful. Well, it's also uncomfortable at that age if you're like afraid people are looking at you too. I mean, yeah. Aside from it being sinful. But I was like, I was concerned about causing lust. And as we've talked about men, if, if you can, if people can see any kind of like jiggle or movement through your clothes or see the body of the shape of your body through your clothes at all, that's a sin as well. So as a young teenage girl, I was making like a DIY binder. I'd wear like three bras and then one or two compression tank tops to do PE because I didn't want to sin. And I have asthma. <laughs> and I have asthma. So oh. this was not ideal. So I'm trying to run with like as close as I, I like I didn't know that binders existed and I was just trying to get as close as I could and also having asthma it was not a fun experience and it led to a lot of throwing up um and then I got yelled at for faking oh running in sounds... PE was not <sighs> not my favorite you'd think that they just have like separate PE for the boys and the girls like why, why wouldn't they do that they did for a while. Um, girls PE was the same kind of like calisthenics stuff, but we do it while quoting scripture. So it would be toe touches, like who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. And then uh, like leg lifts and they'd have like a verse for us to quote while we did that. And like there were different verses for each exercise. Fun, right? <laughs> no, that sounds really not fun. That's It was I mean... better than the other PE. <laughs> I, I guess. I, I mean, did they did they make you do the pacer? Is that the presidential fitness thing? I think like with the buzzer, you know, with the buzzer where you have to make it to the other cone before the next buzzer. That sounds like that. That sounds like something you would do if you had a basketball court. Yeah, which we, like, no, we, we didn't, would do that on the basketball court. We yeah. didn't have a basketball court. We had a fellowship hall, <sighs> which was like a long, narrow room with like eight foot ceilings. That was not a basketball court. Um, we did like a wish.com version of the presidential fitness test, which I also hated uh, because I got <laughs> shamed a lot because I couldn't touch my toes, which is BS because it turns out I'm not unflexible in real life. In real life, I was doing the splits until I was 30 weeks pregnant. Like, 
even even at the time that I was getting in trouble for not being able to touch my toes, I could put my feet, I could touch my toes to the back of my head and I was trying to get to be able to put my feet flat on the back of my head. It's not that I wasn't flexible. It's just that touching my toes with locked knees is the one flexibility thing I've never been able to do. I mean, like, I, I don't get me wrong. Like, I hated gym class, but yours sounds so much worse. I mean, granted, my biggest recollection about gym class is getting beaten up in the locker room and shit, but like... I mean, I got that too. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. What you get? Swirlies. You no, get they didn't know. People. Titty twisters. Ew. You get like. God no. I guess that's that's very different for women than. Well, also in the IFB, like that's right. Yeah, like that's you'd probably get in trouble for being gay if somebody of the same gender did that. So. That's true. Yeah. I no, I I just I got picked on a lot, but people didn't want to leave marks on me because they didn't want me to be able to prove what they were doing. So it was just kind of a lot of like low key, constant bullying. The the issue was it wasn't I don't I don't blame those people anymore. I really don't. The issue was that my dad was the pastor. So if the school made a new policy that people didn't like, they blamed it on my dad because he was in charge of the school. And then it got taken out on me. Like, that's all it was. Yeah. You ever get waterboarded? No. No. Yeah, dude, I got waterboarded with vault energy drink. Oh, Yeah, that's that's bad. Yeah, no, they they were we, we were like changing back into our regular clothes after gym class, and I was like I was like a wimpy kid and like socially awkward. It was like fourteen, and the locker room like locker room was always like super unsupervised, so I was dead meat. But there were like these two guys who always used to just f- with me. Like I don't know why. Like maybe it was one of those like like I was like the weakest kid who wasn't like a special needs kid. Because, like, if you pick up the special needs kids, you get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But if you f*** with me, like, you'll be fine. One time, like, one of them, like, stuck up behind me, wrapped my face in his stinky gym shorts, and the other one poured, like, vault energy drink over my face. That's extremely <laughs> terrible, and I'm sorry that happened. No, I mean, it was, it sucked. Like, I was late to second period, and then, like, if you're tardy or you cut class, and there's, like, an automated system that robocalls your house and tells your parents that you were late. And so, like, that day, my parents got a phone call saying that I was late, and my dad questioned me about why I was late to class at the dinner table. Arguably my worst gym class experience, because, like, they, they used to also, like, I mean, this is, like, 2000s, like, anything went in, like, they did not give a f- about in like 2007 is that they would like mist me with axe body spray and tell me i was in a gas chamber oh no yeah oh man. Uh, yeah that man no like because because it was the mid-2000s and like all that edgy shit was in you remember that i guess you don't remember <laughs> that you were in a cult like i let you do it that time <laughs> yeah oh that's that is terrible that's yeah terrible. It, it, it sucked i man. was gonna say at least you had gym shorts i had to wear culottes oh so I that sucks. Can, so I can let me redeem this. I'll tell you a fun gym class story though. Because gym class, although extremely traumatic for many reasons, was one of the first places I learned to stand up for myself. So there was this boy in our school for a while. I'll call him Ted. And he was like two years older than me. So I was 13. He was like 15. But this kid was huge. He was like 14, 15 years old and over six foot and just built like he was bigger than all of our teachers wow and ted was 
always picking on me, always bullying me. He was just one of those kids. You know, it's like the kids who get sent to Hiles Anderson for a year and they do not want to be there, but they're being pressured or forced to be there. That same concept, but for IFB high school. His dad sent him to Christian private school to just like try to straighten him out because he was the bad kid in public school and had like gotten kicked out of public schools. So he did not... Looking back, he wasn't that bad of a person. He was like a very normal, bad teenager who probably had, like, who could have turned out fine. I don't know what happened to him. But he did not want to be in culty Christian school, and he took it out on everyone around him, but especially me. Why? Just because your dad was the pastor? Because my dad was the pastor, and because I was super naive and socially awkward and did not know how to interact with human beings who weren't in a cult. And I was also tiny. So I had a late, a fairly late growth spurt. Like, I shot up, like, four inches after I turned 16, which is not common in women. But when I was 12, I was, like, 5'2 and 105 pounds. I was tiny. And this kid and I kept getting into altercations. And it was always right on the cusp of getting into a physical fight. And, Gavi, you know how I am. When I get truly angry... Yeah, you're like, you know... (laughs) I don't get truly angry very often, but when I do, I tend to think that I'm six feet tall. It's a little (laughs) bit of little dog syndrome. And when I got really mad at this guy, I did not (laughs) consider this guy has a foot on me in height and he's a hundred pounds heavier than me. I should probably not get into a physical fight with this person. (laughs) The only thing holding back my repressed fundy rage were the rules about not touching boys. And those were wearing pretty thin. Uh, One time we got in a fight at gym and threw frozen snowballs full of rocks at each other. This guy and I were pretty, um, pretty well enemies. Guys f***ing hated each other. We, we, yeah, we were natural enemies, man. Look him up on Facebook. See how he's doing. I've thought about it. I feel like he's the kind of person he's either, I feel like I know the outcome. Like, I feel like he's either totally normal now or he's like a terrible, terrible person. And he really, really could have gone either way. When we did a soccer segment, and this would be slightly after the snowball fight full of rocks incident, we still weren't allowed to touch with our hands, but the teacher showed us how to block with our legs. And for some reason, that wasn't a sin. Fetishes are okay in the IFB. That's why. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, we could, we were allowed to like hip check people and block kicks, and you wouldn't get in trouble if your legs touched during the pro- the process. You could do like a slide tackle. Yeah, um, we actually make a actually, tackle on the player instead of a tackle on the ball. You know, no one's going to give you a red card. Yeah, and I'm not sure what that had to do with actually learning the rules of soccer. <laughs> Because I've come to find out that that kind of thing is highly discouraged in actual soccer. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is that this was my opportunity. So the the soccer game in our soccer segment comes up. Ted is driving the ball down the soccer field. Of course, we didn't have a soccer field. We had a big field out behind the church building that was vaguely rectangular. So if it rained, there would be parts of the field that were like six inches deep of mud and We just played around those spots because the church wasn't going to have the field fixed up. Got a lot of rolled ankles doing that. Uh. So I was supposed to be defending against Ted during this soccer game. And you're like, how big? Like five to 510 pounds. Uh, Have you seen the picture of me playing accordion in high school? No. I'll send I'll find it and send it to you because this is around the same time as this incident. 
so I see I see Ted coming. It's supposed to be defending against him. And he's right by this just nasty, huge, deep spot of mud on the field. And by this point, I have figured out that I am I can use the fact that I'm half his size to my advantage because previous almost fights that we had gotten into, I realized that I was little, but I was faster. And I could also fit, like, I could fit through, like, fit around corners and and get away from him when we would almost get in a fight previously. He's got a higher center of gravity. Yeah, and I had kind of figured out how to use that against him. So he's driving out the field coming towards me. I do, like, a quick swerve, and I jammed my leg between his knees Mm. and just, and then did just a little shove with my shoulder, tipped him right over. He just planted in the in the mud puddle just soaked everything he was wearing completely covered in mud wow was it cold out yep cold and nasty oh. not even sun that cloudy mm. drizzly Ugh. get in trouble for that or you, you get away with it i don't recall getting in any trouble i don't know if the person supervising pe didn't see it or if they just decided you know what she deserves this one yeah <laughs> for everything that ted had put me through previous to that point i put everyone else through like through to be honest man like uh like that dude honestly caused me so much trauma and i feel very vindicated so gym class sucked in general but i did get the advantage of learning how to take down a man twice my weight which has really come in handy in life arguably i should not have been put in that position as like a 13 year old but still sometimes trauma comes with a helpful side of life skills yeah man every femme person should know how to immobilize a man that's if true. They need to. We should yeah. all be taking the women's self-defense class with Bobby Hill. Yeah. At some point, um, if the patrons like this story, maybe at some point I'll tell you about how I got in a no-holds-barred shaving cream fight with the same guy. Uh, it was glorious. It was my final victory. That sounds funny. Oh, it was amazing. So my after-school activity, usually I would play piano for an hour or two. I would be practicing for fine arts competition and also for whatever church music I had on my plate at the time. By the time I was 16, I was the pianist for our church's main music group who did like a trio who did most of the special music for church. And it was my mom and two other people. So I, you know, if she was available, available for practice, I was available for practice. And I would usually have several pieces that I was practicing for accompanying them. That's a lot of pressure. So you're 16. You're the main accompanist for the church. Uh, For the church's main music group. I don't believe I didn't play for the choir too often. I played for church services a good deal. Okay, but you're still performing like every week. Oh, yeah, at least once a week, usually twice. But I don't I don't know if that's abnormal because like you were in choir and I don't think you did fine arts competitions, but I know you did performances. So you would have had to be practicing for performances, too, right? Well, it wasn't fundy fine arts competition. I would go to I would go to competitions, but I would like or like showcases and stuff. I mean, and I had I have piano lessons like every Friday, and so I'd be practicing for that. I had voice lessons on Wednesday, and so I'd be working on a piece for like one of these vocal showcases, like the Portland Interscholastic League, or like you know one of these showcases from like the uh, from like an association of music teachers or, or something. Um, or either I'd be at like a mock trial team meeting. I don't like. I think the difference though is that like I had. Because you wouldn't have choir class during the day at, at school, would you? Because I would have choir class during the day at school, like two or three periods of my day would be choir class. I had school choir once a week. Hmm. 
unless we were okay. unless we were coming up on a performance in which class in which case we would have it like all day every day for a week leading up to the performance <laughs> well see i i think that's that's the thing though is that i would have choir class like two or three times a day sometimes and i don't want to like disparage your musical ability because i know that you're like really good at music i think that uh, from my observations i think that ifb standards for performance are different than normie standards in a way like in some ways they're a lot stricter but in some ways they're also worse you know what i'm saying i see what you're saying there are there are things that you have to adhere by and they do want you up to a very high performance standard in the areas that they care about right but the areas that they care about aren't exactly the areas that make something always beautiful to listen to 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 an outside ear yeah they want you to perform as perfectly as you can in their style i mean really you might just look at it as a different a different style of music that's true like enunciation for example like that's different in a country western song or an opera song and if you look at IFB music as like a completely separate music style. Yeah, I mean, in the IFB, you're practicing for like your fine arts competition and you're going against other fundies. So that's going to be to their standards anyway. Like they're going to be they're, they're going to be all about the way that you look. They're going to be about your body language when you're performing. They're going to be like they're going to be taking like a very rigid approach to the expressiveness and the individuality of the performance. That's true. So you're so I was learning to play extremely complicated piano pieces, but knowing that I could get disqualified if my knee showed while I sat down at the piano bench or if I moved my body while I played. They'd really disqualify you th- for that? Yes. Like you you just not get scored or you'd not get They could just straight up disqualify you or they could make you do a like redo your performance. I'm trying to like fathom a world where perform and you're just like rigid that's that seems impossible to me like it's hard (sighs) so what are you doing after piano practice so after piano practice i would have dinner at home and then i would have to do homework the thing about ace is that if you finish all your paces like if you you would have five or six pages in each pace assigned during the day if you finish them all you didn't have any homework if you didn't finish them maybe because the supervisor took too long to answer your flag because they were in a meeting, or maybe because you had one math problem that you couldn't figure out and you spent half your day scoring and rescoring and rescoring over and over again, you had to finish them at home. And if you got behind in paces, you would just have to keep doing homework until you got caught up, like paying back taxes or something. Wow. So are you starting Mm. to see the picture of why I get very nervous if I fall behind in something and think I'm going to have to catch up? Yeah. Ooh. No. So th- that's starting to make sense for me. The other thing that's uh, starting to make sense, like I was going to see if you did after school activities like teams or clubs, you know, like I was in the mock trial team and then I remembered, okay, soul winning and then Wednesday night church. And those are going to take that. But more than anything, I can see why you did okay with just like finishing your paces and chilling. You know, like like you would say, you would just sit there because that's the only time that you had a break. Uh, I would sleep at my desk a lot. <laughs> also, God. the other the other consideration, though, is my school wasn't big enough and did not have any funding at all. So they couldn't possibly have provided after school sports or clubs or a debate team or anything like that. 
The other thing, though, is that we were in a cult, so they wouldn't have wanted us associating with other students who didn't have the same rules. Our school did have a basketball team and an all-IFB league for a while, but we didn't have a gym, so we didn't really practice, and we literally never won. <laughs> so They literally can't practice. like They can't run plays. You can't. No. What, did, <laughs> so they just say, go home and practice basketball and then come to the game? We had like a hoop outside so people could practice throwing the basketball. <laughs> so we didn't have a basketball team for very long. God. So it's all of that on top of there not being time for that kind of thing. I, I mean, I can imagine that's just. So once we switched to a Becca, I always had homework. Abeka is really big on assigning homework, so I would often have it for every class every day. And this is my soapbox for the episode. <laughs> homework trains children to take their work home with them. It's bullshit. It's almost always unnecessary and should be kept to an absolute minimum. I do think that large projects that teach like project management and time management skills are good for kids, like science fair projects are absolutely good for kids. And I don't mind kids, like especially older, like high school age, needing to study for tests at home. I, I feel like most of it should be done during school hours. But busy work homework, like writing spelling words, that kind of thing is from Satan. Yeah. I mean, when I was in fifth grade and my teacher said that if our parents wrote him a note saying that uh, like we didn't have to do homework, then he wouldn't make us do homework all year. And so everybody in the class begged our parents to send the note saying that they their kids didn't have to do and No one did. Uh-uh. He, he said that it happened once in like 30 years of teaching. That's crazy to me. I would sign that note for Chuck in a heartbeat. Millennial parents, like, man. I, I want her to do like science fair projects that teaches real life skills. Even writing papers to an extent can teach real life skills. I ha- I just I have no interest in her writing lists of words. If the if the homework is reading, fine. But if it's read this and answer these eight questions, do it during class hours or it's not important. Most of the homework I want to say that I got from him was like research projects or like book reports and stuff. And that like that stuff is legit. Or like the one time that we had to like make a magazine to turn and made a travel magazine and got an A on it. Oh, felt super see, like, good about it. Yeah. That, yeah, I would still ultimately prefer that teachers assign homework that can be done during class hours or during study halls for the most part. Because I think that that teaching children to take work home with them and to not be done with your work at the end of the day. I think that's a toxic cycle that's being perpetuated. But I would like I do think those skills are legitimate and worth learning. Like those are actual life skills. Be able to research something and write about it or be able to put together a visual report on something. Aside from like math homework. I I hated doing math homework. No, the only like real bull that we had to do was and I'm going to like trigger everybody who was millennial, I guess, and went to public school was we had to do something called Wordly Wise, which was basically just a big workbook full of bullshit and like diagramming sentences, which I hated. And like to this day, I still do not know how to diagram a sentence. I think it is the most useless skill that there is. And I think that it's the stupidest thing that they ever tried to make us learn. See, I want to teach you how to diagram sentences because I love diagramming and I will do it for fun if I find a cool, complex sentence. I I think there is a legitimate use for that. Mm, I think that that is psychopathic behavior. (laughs) 
Is and this a surprise to you, though? No. Okay. I would rather get waterboarded again. Oh, no. With vault energy drink and smelly gym shorts like they did in gym class. I 100% bring out the, the vault energy drink and have a dude who weighs like 50 pounds more than me just like stretches smelly gym shorts over my face and pour vault energy drink down my throat before I will diagram any sentences. I like That's crazy I, I, to me. It's fun. No. Di- diagramming sentences is straight bullshit and there is no reason on God's green earth that kids should be spending 45 minutes a night practi- practicing a skill for like three or four years straight that they will never, ever, ever, ever use in their lives. And I think that diagramming sentences is the epitome of the very same stupid busy work that you just decried as a method of indoctrinating children to an unfair labor economy where their energy is exploited at the expense of their leisure time. See, I wouldn't... <laughs> See, I wouldn't support, you know, sending a kid home with like diagram these 50 sentences for homework. I do think it's a useful skill, though, because you see the function of the words in the sentence. If you have to diagram 10 sentences and they're all structured like noun, past tense, verb, prepositional phrase, adverb, that's awful. There's no reason to do that's busy work. But having the skill of understanding how different parts of speech function in a sentence is actually useful. So here's a hot take. I think that kids know how words work. I think that kids know what an adverb is and they know what a noun is and they know what a verb is and they don't need to learn how to draw lines underneath the sentences in order to know or like circle things or like in order to know how to like you you know how to drive a car, right? You you can drive a car. Yes. Do you know how to design an engine? No. Same I thing. Do, but I do have the basic knowledge of how like the powertrain works. But can you tell me what variable valve timing is? Yes, actually. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, good for you. Like most people, most people don't know that. I mean, it'll be be a five-year-old level explanation, but yes. I mean, most five-year-olds don't know what that is, but you know what? Like respect. Uh, (laughs) Like, I, I, I don't know. Like I hated it so much that I would just flat out refuse to do it. Like I, like I would be like, you can't make me. I, and my parents would be like, I will take They would like take away my GameCube and I would still be like, I don't care. I fucking refuse to do this. Shit. Like it was so stupid. I hated it so much. I would just refuse to do it out of principle because I thought it was dumb and I thought it was useless. And I still hold that true today. And I did not care if I passed sixth grade English with a 75. Zero f***s given. Remembering like all the different slashes and circles and lines and stuff that you had to put under or behind or around. Whoa, certain, whoa, whoa, like, whoa. I, you keep saying you keep saying slashes and circles. When you say diagram sentences, you mean like circle the subject, underline the verb once, underline uh if it underline a prep or put parentheses around a prepositional phrase, uh make a diagonal line through all of the adverbs and a vertical line through all the adjectives. Is yeah, that what that, you that's not diagramming. That, what is that? That's sentence analysis. Diagramming. Hold on. I'm going to send you a picture of what a diagram sentence looks like because this is suddenly extremely important to me. Hold on. Okay. So how, how do you feel about the, the thing that I'm talking about? Do you think the thing that I'm talking about is busy work? Is bullshit and busy work? Because the, the shit that I'm like, that's what they would I just have us do in the book. that thing that you're doing about is usually busy work and you should only do it if the next thing you're going to do is diagram the sentence. That is only useful if the next thing you're going to do is this. Hold on. I'm going to send you. Send this to me. I'm sending you a picture. 
Okay, see, if, if this turns out to be something useful, then I'm like, this is just a massive miscommunication. This is hilarious. Okay, so I sent you a picture. Check your phone. That's a sentence diagram. Oh, yeah, that like makes my brain hurt. Oh, see, okay, so what, what I'm talking about, because people can't yeah. see the text that I send to Gavi, you draw a, a, a straight line, you put the subject, you draw a perpendicular line through your original line, you draw you, you write the verb, you draw a perpendicular line, you write the receiver of the action, or and then you, if you have a prepositional phrase, you draw little like L-shaped lines off of the original line, and it's like drawing a picture with a sentence. You're making like a tree out of it. Yeah, like a tree out of it. No, this shit. Th- like- that is extremely useful for understanding the meaning of complex compound sentences, like that kind of thing, and understanding what those sentences actually say. I'm literally getting a migraine looking at this picture. Okay, we can we can move on. This is uh, this is the, like the the thing that like you you know about how like with me is that w- like when you listen to me talk. I start my sentences low key backwards. So I'll say the second half of the sentence and then I'll go back and say the first half of the sentence and then I'll say the second half of the sentence again. Yes. That's like, that's just how I talk. It's uh, because I need to fill space with noise in order to, in order so, so that people wouldn't like interrupt me or talk over me when I was a kid because I had a speech impediment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I generally think it's classist to insist that people speak a certain way uh, according to like the proper rules of English. I think if a person is making themselves understood, um, if they're using slang or if they're using unconventional sentence structure or if they're using AAVE, that's totally fine. And I think it's it's classist to try to correct that. I do think it's valuable, though, to have that sentence analysis tool. Nah, man, I think like, we're going I... <laughs> to have to agree to disagree. Right- the pictures for the sentence. To, no, I like if I if my kid was if my kid came home from school and was like, yeah, I got an F on the sentence diagram. I'd be like, good for you. I'm buying you a pizza. Like that's like that would be my that would be my response. I'd be like sentence diagram. I would write an email to the teacher saying sentence diagramming is bullshit and my kid's not doing it. So this also might just be, um, as you put it, psychopath behavior, or as I would put it, one of the weird things I do for fun. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I like to solve systems of equations for fun. That's kind of cool, though, because you could, like, that makes sense. Well, substitution is my favorite method, but did you ever learn to solve systems of equations with matrices? Probably. I can't remember. I learned it in college, and if I'm really bored, I will put together a system of equations and solve it using a matrix. Anyway, with ACE, well, I'll write my own system and then solve it. You know what I'm going to get you for Christmas? I'm going to get you, like, an Algebra 1-2 workbook. (laughs) Just, I mean, I I have like instead of Sudoku, get you an algebra one two workbook. I would probably do that for fun. But so uh, when I was back in ACE, I was usually caught up on paces, except for when I had really hard math stuff. So after dinner, I might practice piano more. When I was in Ibeka, I usually had to do homework. I also had really bad headaches a lot when I was a teenager, and I still don't know why. A lot of my nights were kind of hanging out in a dark room trying to make my head not explode. Never figured out why that was happening, but it went away when I was not a fundy anymore. So <laughs> could just be a side effect of the stress of being fundy. Uh, and then if I wasn't, if I didn't have a headache and I didn't have homework, I was reading library books. 
So that was my that was my night when I was in ACE or when I was in Abeka if I finished my homework. Uh, Wednesday night was the one night that we didn't have homework because on Wednesday night we had to go to church. Uh, I was allowed to play piano, like be the main piano player for the Wednesday night service before I was good enough to be the main piano player for the Sunday services. So I would do that and then sit through church. And then we would usually hang out at church for a while. That was a time that I got to see my friends and hang out with people. And then usually one night a week, I would babysit. One night a week, I would generally have music practice for the trio. I had piano lessons one night a week. And then our church had sometimes had conferences for other churches in the area where we would bring in big name preachers and host like a week long conference. So if a conference was coming up or Christmas or Easter was coming up, I would have a lot more music practices to attend. Yeah. So uh, you're, what time are you get into bed? Hmm. If I didn't have music practice or something, I would usually get to bed at a reasonable time, like 11 p.m. Uh, if I did have a music practice, especially if there was something big like conference or Christmas coming up, it could end up going pretty late into the night, like 11 or 12. And so then you're what you're getting up at six or seven. I'm trying to remember what time school started. I, I think it was 730. And we lived right behind the school church building. So if I wanted to actually do my 30 minutes of Bible reading and prayer, I still wouldn't have to get up any earlier than six. So wasn't getting up too, too early in high school. Okay. I think that's it. I think that's a school day in a cult. What do you think? Uh, I think that if I were raised in the IFB, I would have been getting the absolute shit beaten out of me by everybody for everything. Um <laughs> Because I would be doing the wrong thing literally all the time. Well, are you ready That's- to take a break and go take up the offering and come back to a weekend in a cult? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back from our break. What did we talk about? We've been talking about Sadie's life in high school. Oh, no. Awkwardness, teenageness. Uh, We talked about, yeah, we talked about what was going on during the week. Now, what are we going to talk about now? 
So we're going to pivot now and talk about my weekend activities as an IFB high school student. Ooh, fun. What, what, what does a weekend look like for you? You get a, sleep in a little bit? Nine, ten? A weekend for me was an absolute gauntlet of things to do from Saturday morning to Sunday night with Oof. maybe a couple hours to chill out. Yeah, just enough time to watch Bama. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. So I'm curious, uh, what time did you usually get up on Saturday mornings when you were in high school? Saturday mornings. Okay, so I had Mock Trial Club. Mock Trial Club was on Tuesday and Thursday nights or Monday and Wednesday nights, depending on the year. But then we would have meetings on Saturday morning at a team member's house. So those would usually be at 930 uh, so I would usually get up around 8, 8.30, something like that, you know, and then put some clothes on, go to the mock trial meeting, and there would be breakfast there. There'd probably be coffee, bagels, cinnamon rolls, all that good stuff. That, I mean, that, that sounds fun. Any, anything, anything after the mock trial meeting? Yeah, I mean, I might go hang out with some friends or go home. Um, if I was feeling especially good, I would do homework uh, if it was early in the semester uh, and I was still doing that. Or, you know, I might like watch sports, play video games, something like that. If my dad hadn't taken my GameCube away. For not diagramming sentences. Yeah, for, or actually I was in high school, so it would have been a Nintendo Wii by then. But ah. yeah, if my dad hadn't taken my Nintendo Wii away for uh, not having done my homework, which I mean, which which like that's that's what happened first that kind of sounds like like a self-repeating cycle oh it it was absolutely a self-repeating like i would i would start the semester and everything would be fine and then my parents would find out that i hadn't been doing my homework and they would take my nintendo away so then you would not still not do your homework yeah still not do my homework because i hated it and also i had adhd and it was undiagnosed uh but they didn't know that yeah that'll not do it i just hated doing it yeah yeah so not a good time So my Saturdays were when I really got to sleep in. I I usually got up around, I think around 8 a.m. was my Saturday time. Is So is sleeping in a sin? Is is it the sin of laziness? Yes, unless you're sick, but also if you're sick. Um, But also, also, in the IFB, you just, you have stuff to do on Saturday and Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So there's not... It's a sin to not be there for the stuff you're supposed to do. So the sin of sleeping in is not really a sin you have an opportunity to commit because you would get overridden by the larger sin of not being there for something you're supposed to do. (laughs) So so Saturday morning, bright and early, uh, you got to wake up and go to a soul winning meeting at the church. At our church, teen soul winning was on Saturday morning. Sometimes adults would also show up on Saturday morning, That especially adults that worked like a nine to five Monday to Friday job, but the adults went out soul winning separately from the teenagers. I don't remember a lot of adults showing up, but our church didn't have a lot of adults that regularly went soul winning. I think adult, really? like, yeah. I mean, we had some for sure, but it wasn't the slackers. Yeah, because my dad wasn't getting up and lamb blasting people from the pulpit. Like, if you don't go soul winning, you're dirty, rotten sinner. Like, he was definitely encouraging people from the pulpit. Like, you should be out soul winning, but he wasn't being like the IFB level of nasty to get people to do it. So, therefore, he didn't have the results huh. of people coming to do it. So we had a separate soul winning time for adults. I think it was Thursday night. I'm struggling to find a way to say adult soul winning that doesn't sound like IFB after dark, IFB gone wild. 
Sorry. Whatever Dave Hiles got up to. <laughs> what Dave Hiles got up to was adult soul winning. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. So, did you ever feel angry about like just having all that stuff? To, like, did you ever feel like it was a waste of time? Not that I remember. Uh, I didn't like doing it. I didn't enjoy going out in the cold and the heat. I didn't like how tired I got if they had to stay out for a long time. I didn't want to go out soul winning and get paired with somebody who wasn't my favorite soul winning partner. Uh, Like if there were an uneven number of girls and boys, heaven forbid, I might have to go out soul winning with my brother, which as a teenager was deeply uncool. But it wasn't, Mm. I didn't feel like it was a waste of time. It was just that I, I didn't like the details of it. Well, did you have like the conception though that like other kids didn't have to do this yeah and i did feel jealous of worldly kids chilling out on saturdays or doing sports or hobbies but i wasn't supposed to resent soul winning i was supposed to love it so i think i convinced myself that i loved it and then focused on all the external stuff that i didn't like like oh i like going out Mm. soul winning i just don't like the heat so were, were you successful that like on the average day how many people are you getting to say the sinner's prayer? Hmm. And how many people are, are you getting to come to church with you? I think average would be between one and one and seven, one and ten salvations would be my average number. I usually didn't come back to the church without having at least one person do the sinner's prayer with me. It depends on where they had us going, though, because a lot of times they would take teen soul winning to uh, an area with a lot of kids playing outside, kids playing in the street or playing in the park. Uh, a less wealthy area of town is always a better place to get people to pray the sinner's prayer with you. If they sent us to someplace like that, I would definitely come back with at least one salvation, but I could rack up like 20 or 30 in a day. But if they sent us to the really wealthy neighborhood where people are not as quick to open the door, there aren't as many children playing outside, I might not even get but like four or five people to open the door at all so that I could even try to witness to them. Wow. So- It very much depended on where they took us, and they liked having the teenagers have big salvation numbers because that keeps the teenagers coming to church because teenagers are fairly like reward-motivated, success-motivated people in general. Like Teenagers like a sense of accomplishment, so they would try to make sure we felt accomplished so that we would keep doing it. So they liked to take teen soul winning to the areas where it was easiest to get a bunch of people to pray with you. So those were the rougher areas. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, mm. you know, less wealthy neighborhoods just in general tend to be easier mm. places to get people to pray a prayer with you. I, I understand that there is a whole lot of classism and racism in there, but I'm not going to I'm not going to take it apart today. I will do that at some point. But as I said before, I was good at getting people to pray a prayer with me. I was terrible at convincing people to come to church with me. Like I've told you in great detail, this led to some trust and rejection issues that I had to work through right along with deconstruction. Fun times. Was anybody good at getting people to come to church with them? A very few people were. Okay. So it's like a rare gift. Yes. I've known people that really could do it. Like I knew bus workers at Hiles Anderson who could get dozens of children to get on a bus and come to church. Yeah, but that's kids. Yeah, but kids count. Okay, through the same as adults do in the IFB. But like, I, feel, I kids feel like an easy mark for yes. that because you can offer them candy. <laughs> yes, what we can and do offer them candy. That it, I don't, I don't know what it was. 
I, I don't know. I have a personality type where people would have a conversation with me about like their fears of eternity, but were not willing to come to church with me. Interesting. I don't know what it was. The, so the people you're getting to pray sinner's prayer with you, how many of them do you think were already Christians who were like just being nice to you? And how many do you think were uh, like heathens? So I'm going to answer a different question that you didn't ask before I answer the question that you did ask. Okay. And that is how old were the people that were praying with me? I think a solid 70% of the people I ever had say the sinner's prayer with me were under 21. Lots and lots of teenagers and kids and really young adults. Uh, My personal ethics when I was out soul winning... I wouldn't count a salvation if somebody was under maybe seven or eight or didn't seem to be following along with what I was saying and making the logical connections. We were trained on how to witness to very young children. Personally, I wouldn't count it for my numbers if they were really small and I didn't feel like they had comprehended, um, which that was that was a great baby step, Colt Sadie. Got about 100 more of those to go, but that was a great baby step. I've always had a knack for knowing how to talk to teenagers. Um, I haven't spoken to a teenager other than my niece and my nephew on Jonathan's side in like five years, but I'm pretty good at not talking down to teenagers and just kind of leaning into how uncool I, <laughs> I seem to them. And I was trained in sales techniques. So all of that... And being trained to witness to very small children, all of that kind of helped me get through to the under 21 age group. Well, you know what helps if you're talking to teenagers? What? If you ask them about the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> so as yeah. as I've refer- as referenced, I was awful at actually being able to hang with non-IFB people my own age. Could not do it. But I was pretty good at like encountering somebody, getting them into conversation, getting them to pray the prayer, and leaving. I think a lot. So out of the 70% of people that I ever had pray the prayer with me that were the the 70% that were under 21, kids and teenagers, I think a lot of them were probably raised semi-religious, like Christmas and Easter Christians. So they were pretty willing to go along with the prayer if I would let them get back to whatever they were doing. Of course, looking back, I also cringe because I think Many of those people were probably being sarcastic, and I could not read or recognize sarcasm at the time. Oh, no. And, like, I'm sure that a lot of those people maybe just smoked a little something and thought it would be entertaining (laughs) to go along with whatever it was that I was saying. And then there were also plenty of people that, like, bullied me, threatened me, cussed me out. So out of out of all of these people that I ever tried to approach about Jesus, I think some of them who didn't want to go all the way along with it, but also didn't want to like throw things at me, probably found me so weird that it was interesting. Like they were thinking in their head, this girl just landed from another planet. We got to hear what she's going to say. Because you're dressed all weird too. You're right. dressed all funny. I look weird. I do not look... If you look, you have to realize if you look at pictures of me, like the the verification pictures that I posted for my um, AMA in the Fundy Snark Uncensored subreddit, you have to look at those pictures and realize that this is a person from like 2009. Think about what you, if you were not a Fundy, think about what you were wearing in 2009. I was wearing jeans and band t-shirts and a black hoodie exclusively. Yeah, That's and, all I wore. And... and- <laughs> Uh, listeners who were presenting as feminine in 2009 were probably not wearing floor-length d- denim skirts 
and like button up collared shirts, mm, probably. No, no. And like sensible Clark's flats. <laughs> you know, it would be a fun uh, episode for us to do. We've got Pride coming up. And then after that, after we do like the rest of the mission stories that we didn't have time for in our last missions episode, uh, what if we asked people for their best soul winning stories? How would you feel about that? I could totally go for that. If we do it, I will either open or close the episode, I'll tell you my best soul winning story, um, which is about the time that I ended up in the crossfire of a Latin King's gunfight. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it, it was actually the second time that I had been in a like potential loaded firearm situation out soul winning. So I was a little bit prepared. <laughs> so every Saturday, you're, you're getting a decent number of people saved. So it, it doesn't feel completely like a useless task, does it? No. And also, I was getting praised by leaders and people in the church for my modest successes out soul winning. The other thing is, so when we went to nice neighborhoods and tried to get new church members there, even if I didn't have as many salvations or people show up to church or whatever, I was out trying to build the church. And I knew that if I could get even just one more family into the church, that meant more tithe money. That meant we could support more missionaries and win the world to Jesus. It also meant that my dad would make more money and maybe I could get out of the dilapidated trailer that I lived in and actually buy clothes at the mall instead of the thrift store. But can you imagine hmm. if your dad sent you door to door trying to find new doctor clients for him so that you could live in a decent house? No, I like I cannot. I, I literally like cannot. the pressure of that. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, honestly, like listening to your story, it makes me feel so lucky that my family, like my family never had to worry about money when I was growing up. And that just makes me feel really lucky. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think like the pressure of needing to help provide for the family, that's not exclusive to the IFB. But when just, I mean, just think about the pressure of going out soul winning, knowing that you are almost never successful in getting a new middle class or better family into the church. But if you did, your all of your family's problems would be solved. Wow. Because yeah. like I talked before about it, our church hit a certain number of members, but then we never really moved past that. We got like to the line of what makes a really successful IFB church, but we just could not break that barrier. And I always felt like it was my fault. Like either there was secret sin in my life that I wasn't recognizing or that I wasn't doing well enough out soul winning. And then this expressed itself like this fear that I was the cause of all of our problems expressed itself in eating disorder type behavior because the most important thing a woman can be if she's not a mother is to be thin and attractive. So I literally and this is like extremely toxic thinking this is very messed up thinking and does not make sense from a non-cult perspective but what was in my head i got into this headspace where i thought my dad's church wasn't big enough because i was fat and ugly and i wasn't bringing enough people to jesus and that's not the ifb doesn't teach that the ifb doesn't teach if your pastor's daughter weighs five pounds too much then your church is going to fail like of course the ifb doesn't say that on the face but that is the culmination of all the things that the IFB does teach and how they got into my young, impressionable brain. That's really rough. Yeah, I mean, it did suck. 
I'm not going to lie. This, it was not great. Would you say that your motivation for soul winning was more because you wanted to help your family or because you wanted to build the church or because you wanted to help people meet Jesus? Or was it all three of those things kind of like all together, like a trinity? It All of the above. It was such an important thing. So if I went out soul winning again, so I'm wearing like IFB approved, like layers and layers of clothing and hosiery and dressy shoes because I have to look modest and I got to make a good impression on people. And it's a hundred degrees outside. I'm just drenched in sweat. I get out there. It's hot. It's miserable. And if I start to complain, like even in my own mind, even just thinking negative thoughts about like, I don't like this, I would have to then self brainwash because complaining is a sin, even if you don't say it out loud. And then it sets off this shame spiral. Mm. Like my sin of complaining is hurting everyone around me. Like my family yeah, and my church and everyone I know and everyone I love. And it's because I'm so sinful. This is just like every Saturday. Got to do this. Yeah. Man. So like, I mean, aside from the, aside from the religious aspect, there's a lot of teenagers out there today who are in like the same boat as you were in that they're working to try and support mom and dad who just aren't able to make ends meet um, on their own. Because like, I don't know, rent is too high or they got medical bills or man, that's, that's a really rough situation to be in. But like with the, with the shame and the no, not being allowed to do negative thoughts on top of that. Yeah. And I I don't want to discount people who have like teenagers who have to work to help support their family because that's to itself a difficult thing and a big struggle. But then I also had religious brainwashing on top of that, which is a different, also terrible thing. So we would get home from soul winning around 3 p.m. ish. Often I had a short music practice on Saturday, just like an hour to run over anything that I had to play for the next day. I was involved with with several music groups, the trio being the big one, but I also had a teen music group that I ran for something I'll tell you about later. I was in teen choir. I was in I was in like all of these different music groups. And then Saturday nights after that were the one time that I didn't really have anything scheduled. I had time to relax, I guess. I just I don't know if relax is the right word because I'm not mm. I'm not really sure that I had the concept of relaxing fully down until several years after leaving the IFB. Like, yes, I did leisure activities. I read, my family enjoyed watching Star Trek together, so that was kind of our thing. We'd get together at night whenever we had time and watch a couple episodes of Star Trek. But I had, I what I didn't have was the concept of I'm doing this activity to that I enjoy to decompress from the other activities I have to do so that I will be refreshed when I go back to the things that I have to do. I didn't understand the concept of letting my guard down and enjoying something because the mm. pressure of everything else was omnipresent. And I felt like if I didn't think about it, that would be somehow sinful because you're supposed huh. to enjoy the pressure and like, you know, that's God doing great things for you. And that's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. And, you know, that's your awareness of sin and your desire not to sin. So all of those things are always in my head. And I don't think I, like, I, th- I feel like I'm still learning how to truly relax. So do you ever have, do you ever like have difficulty 
not being busy you know like if you just have some downtime i suppose you've got a baby now so that isn't really a problem but like i actually just made a tiktok about this um do you remember the other day we were outlining the proverbs 31 episode and my internet went down yes i do so i suddenly just had like an hour on my hands while chuck was napping because i didn't have anything i had set that time aside to do podcast stuff and I can't do anything for the podcast if I don't have internet. And I thought, you know, I'm really tired. I could use a nap. And then my first thought after that was, oh, no, unscheduled time is when the devil gets you to sin. Is this nap a sin? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, so I would say, yes, I do struggle with this because actually, if I'm going to relax even now, I kind of have to schedule it. It's not the worst thing in the world because I am I like schedules and I tend to make a schedule and then stick to it. So if I schedule in relaxation, I will actually relax, which is good because if anyone in the history of ever needs to take a chill pill sometimes, it's me. True. So, <laughs> so yes, I do I do still like I I feel like I have to have everything scheduled and I have a hard time just going with the flow. But having a baby has kind of forced me to learn that. So that's good. Saturday night, though, was a time that you could chill out a little bit, but it was also the time to get anything done that had to be done before Monday morning, because Sunday was just gonna be a long ass day. So Mm. I would like I would do a lot on Saturday night. um, And this was a Jack Hiles thing, like do a lot on Saturday night to prepare for Sunday, like put out your outfit. Um, I would usually sleep in curlers so I wouldn't have to do my hair the next morning. Sleeping curlers, man, 85, uh... <laughs> 1985 or 85 years old because <laughs> both were both. Are you 85 years old in 1985? Uh, probably. Yes. Curlers, man. Curlers. Well, I couldn't go to, I couldn't go to church without my hair looking nice because if you're the pastor's family and you don't look nice enough, then people are going to visit your church and they're going to say, oh, I don't want to join that church because the pastor's family looks ratty. And then if people don't join your church, it's your fault that you live in a dilapidated old educational trailer and have to like stretch your food Mm. and can't support a bunch of missionaries and therefore aren't winning the world to jesus and people are dying and going to hell and it's your fault little children oh no you got heather again into a burning hell yeah Uh, i'm sorry heather i personally apologize for my co-host i listened to that song (laughs) that song kind of slaps no lie that i mean it got me to sign an illegal contract at 14 years old so man that's the best kind of song <laughs> thank you ted nugent <laughs> okay oh that that went a, a whole different direction than i was expecting it to so i want i gotta i gotta explain something before i try to tell you about sundays because this is confusing and it is just my church that was that had this particular setup. So you know how when Gresham like first became a suburb of Portland, it was a nice area and then it deteriorated over time? Yes. Okay. The church I grew up in was built in an area exactly like that. It was a nice suburb of St. Louis on the Illinois side when the city became a thing in like the 40s to the 60s. It was a it was a baby boom city. People coming home from World War II bought a nice house in a nice suburb so they could raise their nice family. But over time, the reputation of that area has changed. This is like a Gary, Indiana type. Very much. 
I'm I am mm. just holding my back like holding myself back so hard from from like going Singing into Gary, Indiana, not <laughs> Louisiana. No, from going into like the racism and classism and everything else that goes into the way that people talk about this kind of community. And I'm not I, I can't do that on this episode. Okay. Oh, I was I thought you were holding yourself back from musical theater. No, which... I never hold myself back from musical theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm joyfully available for musical theater. Imagine people, so people who know the Portland area, compare what Gresham is now, the reputation it has now, to the reputation that Southwest Hills or Beaverton has now. People from Southwest Hills in Portland or people who live in Beaverton are not going to drive to Gresham to go to church. They might be willing to drive 20, 30 minutes to go to a church that they really love, but it's sure as heck not going to be in Gresham. So the church location was in an area like that and the my church wanted to attract people who lived in the nicer areas <clears throat> because frankly an IFB church is hard to maintain financially and our church had a big mortgage to pay off so what our church did was we started a satellite location in the nicer area so for those who are familiar with Portland think someplace in Beaverton we were meeting in a YMCA building the plan was we're going to start a satellite location in this YMCA building, build it up, get some good, like solid church members there, and then we'll move the whole church out to the nicer area once we get established families out in the nicer area. Once again, this was on the Jack Hiles plan of how to run an IFB church. So nobody really thought about what if it didn't work. That never entered anyone's mind. I'm sure it did, but we didn't express it and we didn't discuss it. I know I thought about it, hmm. but I knew I wasn't supposed to doubt God. And if I doubted, if I committed the sin of doubt, the church wouldn't be successful. And once again, it would be all my fault. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Yeah. Yeah. But the church wasn't successful. So was it still like your fault because you had doubt in your mind? Yeah. Or or because I did something else wrong, because I had a secret sin and I hadn't prayed hard enough for God to reveal my secret sin so that I could give it up. Wow. Or because I didn't have the Holy Spirit, because I didn't pray hard enough for God to give me the Holy Spirit so that I could get more people to come to church with me. Wow. Or because yeah. I did something mm. else wrong. <laughs> so, and the, 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 the key is that everybody who is really sold out to the IFB feels that way. So if something goes wrong, mm. everybody individually to themselves thinks it must be their fault, but won't say it to other people because that's shameful. So everybody persists in this unspoken cycle of horrible shame and self-loathing until somebody breaks the cycle, <clears throat> which is what I'm trying to do here. God, that's this is just... Yeah, so like this this is how the whole thing functions. This is one piece of how the whole thing keeps going. It's just run on people's guilt and feeling bad about mm -hmm. wow. So mm. at the same time as we were starting this satellite church, I think we started it, okay, let's see. 93 to 2003. I think we started it in 2007 or 2008-ish. It was starting to be really trendy among Baptist churches to have an early Sunday service and a later Sunday service which the Catholics had been good doing for like goodness knows how long. It's very convenient. 
So what we would do is on Sunday, and it's, it's meant to like attract more people. So on Sunday, for a while, we had two morning services at the satellite church and then another morning service back at the old church building. And then wow. later, we dropped the service at the main church building and just had the two at the satellite location. And then I think eventually we dropped one of the two at the satellite location and just had one Sunday morning service. But I think I had gone off to college by that point. I, I guess I'm, I'm just a little confused. Like, if is but if you had the attendance to warrant two services on a Sunday, why wouldn't you just move everything into a new church? I don't think we had the attendance to warrant two services. I think we were thinking that having two services would bolster attendance because it makes it easier for people to come to church. Oh. But also mm. all of the super old people from the old like the the area that the old church building was in. All of those people attended at the old church building and refused to drive to the new location. You couldn't just accuse them of being backslidden and not sold out if they weren't willing to drive across town for you. I mean, you could, but also that's your tithing base. (laughs) And also they're like 85 years old and they will probably just tell you to F off. Do you want to piss off your tithing base? That just seems like the, the thing, the IFB thing to do. I, 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 I don't know. I'm just accused. Like, people will devote their Wednesday nights to church and their Thursday nights to soul winning and their Saturdays to soul winning and their Sundays to church, but they won't drive uh, like a few extra miles. But these are, these are old people. They're not doing the soul winning parts because they're literally too old to walk from house to house. Okay. Oh, my God. Th- okay. Th- this is. I mean, this is seriously going to make me bust a blood vessel in my brain. Like from a mar- like from a marketing standpoint, you know what I'm saying? If you're trying to build an audience or a fault, like you, if you're, you got to pick a lane and stick with it. Like if you cast too wide a net, you'll burn yourself out, and people won't know what your brand is. Just, it's just yeah, you just you have to know that IFB churches without any denominational support are just a nightmare to keep running. Mm. because there's nothing there's no like a lot of southern baptist churches right now are dying off they're getting smaller they're struggling to keep up membership but if they can't pay their rent like if they have to rent or mortgage their church building if they can't pay it the denomination can help because they pay denomination dues and then people help if like the denomination helps if they lose their pastor the denomination will help them fill that position with a new pastor. If their church gets too small, the denomination will merge them with another church in the local area so that they can build it back up again. The IFB has none of that support. And also they don't tend to merge, they tend to split. So it mm. it's it's very difficult because people are always leaving and you've got to replenish that with new people. But as time goes on, it is harder and harder to get people to accept the level of beliefs and the level of restrictions that the IFB places on people. But also, you can't loosen the beliefs or the restrictions because then you're liberal and you're backsliding. So it's just this balancing act of how do you appear modern enough to poach people from like conservative Southern Baptist churches or Methodist churches or other unaffiliated Baptists that aren't IFB. You've got to look good enough to poach those people over and to attract new people into the church, but you can't be liberal and you can't backslide. And you've got to find a way to get those people to accept the IFB way of thinking. 
So it's just this, hmm. this tightrope balancing act. And my dad didn't fully buy into Quiverful or ATI or any of the most culty of the culty stuff. He didn't act like a cult leader because wasn't who he was. But that left him in a position where it was really hard to build a cult church. You know, the more you explain this stuff to me, like I, I begin to understand why he wasn't successful because I like the only way to be successful in this IFB system is to either inherit a thriving congregation or to be a just an absolute monster when you're trying to build your your church. Exactly. And you know that he was very charismatic. Like my dad was an ultimate people person, but he didn't inherit a thriving congregation and he wasn't willing to go to the extremes that other IFB pastors did. He believed Jack Hiles when Jack Hiles said that you can do it from the ground up. So he spent 30 years trying to make bricks without straw. Because he had the Hiles Anderson College training, he had the personality, he was legitimately a wonderful speaker and a good leader, but he didn't inherit a thriving congregation and he wasn't willing to be a monster. And this is legit, like, what killed him. Like, the the overwork and the exploits, like, even, like, after you leave years down the road, it still affects your health, man. I'm, like, that makes me really angry. Yeah, he he died from a major heart attack. And I have to think that it was the years of overwork and not being able to take care of himself and the stress. And just, you know, not access to really healthy food and not have access to, you know. Money for really healthy food. Yeah, going to the doctor when you needed to go to the doctor. Man, that's just. I mean, my I got out at 20 and my health is permanently affected, I believe. I, I try not to think about what my life could have been like too much. I used to really dwell on that. And it it wasn't a healthy thought pattern for me. So I don't often indulge in that kind of thought pattern. I I try to focus more on what I can do now and what I can build out of what is left. But hopefully that explains well enough the whole satellite church thing. I know that's super complicated and confusing, but you have to have that background to understand what I was doing on a Sunday. Yeah. Mm. So Sunday morning... I had to get up at like 5.30, 6am because the first service at the satellite church started at 8. So we had to drive out there, go to the gym at this YMCA we were meeting in, plug in all the microphones, set out the chairs, put out the hymn books, get everything set up and ready to go by 8 o'clock. The first service was pretty small. So I was the junior church teacher for the first service starting when I was like 14, which is crazy because some of the kids that I taught in that junior church were like nine years younger than me. And so some of the kids that I taught in that junior Mm. church are young adults now, which is a bit brain bending. So we would we would get I would get up, get in the car, go get set up. And then I started my day by entertaining like four to six four year olds for an hour which is just a heck of a way to start your day. <laughs> Let me tell you. Works better than Red Bull, man. It'll <laughs> keep you awake. <sighs> so after teaching junior church, I went to Sunday school class, which was actually one of my favorite parts of the day because my mom was my Sunday school teacher and we our Sunday school class was in the yoga studio part of the YMCA. And my mom, who is certifiably adorable, 
would ask us Bible trivia questions and then give us Skittles if we got the answer right. That sounds like a good time, hanging with your mom. I mean, honestly, I would sit on the floor of a yoga studio with my mom and let her ask me Bible trivia and give me Skittles today if I had that option. She's a very sweet woman. I I met her. She's a a kind-hearted woman. My mom is literally the cutest thing that has ever walked the earth. So after Sunday school, we had second service at the YMCA location. Uh, I don't think I ever had like a set responsibility for second service. It was more like a floater role, like take care of whatever has to get done. I most often played piano for church and the special music, like for the trio or other musical groups. Sometimes, though, I was not doing that and I was playing or I was doing interpretation for the deaf instead. So how how old were you when you learned sign language? I was 12 or 13 when I started learning. I did not have any formal training but I was considered good enough to interpret for the singing part of the service, like the hymns and the announcements. Toward the end of being in high school, I was allowed to do the sermons because I don't think it was because I was a very good interpreter. It was because people figured out that I was so in sync with my dad and like his speech patterns that I was not a (laughs) professional level at interpreting, but I knew what he was going to say before he said it so I could keep up with him. Still, like knowing any sign language, even like just the basic stuff is still a very valuable skill. Oh, yeah. I think it's a huge thing for um, accessibility. There are a lot like knowing sign language is a huge help to any deaf people that are in your community. But it's also just a great skill. Like my mom and I, when we go shopping, if we're across the room from each other, we'll just sign instead of yelling. So it's useful in more than one way. Uh, after I'm, I'm going back to back to my church schedule. After the second service at the satellite church, we had to pack up the church stuff. This is where I try to carry more chairs than the boys to assert dominance. <laughs> uh, we also had to we had to pack up quick because the YMCA opened for people non church people at a certain time, and we had to be out by then. But also we were. St- during part of this time, we were still having one service at the old church. So what we would do is like second service at the new church, like at the, the satellite church would start at 10 a.m. And then second serve, and then the service at the old church campus would start at 11. So we'd finish the service at the satellite church at 11 and the service at the old church is already starting by that point. So what we had to do was pack up. We had to pack up the satellite church, get in the car and get back to the old church in time for my dad to preach his sermon at the old church. So it's starting before the preacher is there. Yeah. It's like a military operation. Like the assistant pastors and the song leaders and all those people are starting the service and just hoping my dad gets there on time. Uh, I'm 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 exhausted just thinking about it. It's I'm, yeah, uh, and this is like 11 a.m. on a Sunday. I still have a solid like nine or ten hours to go. God. Either way, we only had three services. I I asked my brothers and they couldn't remember again. This is where I needed I needed my dad to tell me what the schedules were because I know he would have remembered it. But I asked my brothers to make still have them written down somewhere. (laughs) He didn't have to write things down. He just remembered them. His brain was a freaking Rolodex. Um, Genius. Yeah, it's it's not it's not fair. This is uh, it's not it's uh, too hard to write episodes. 
Anyway, we I, I do not know how long we went doing the three service plan. I don't believe it was very long because that was just a lot. Either way, though, even after we dropped the service at the old church, I still had to get back to the old church campus quickly because I had to have lunch and then get on a bus to go pick up kids for the afternoon service. All of the old bus kids from the neighborhood We moved their church time to the afternoon instead of the morning so that we could drop that morning service at the old church. What we would do instead is we would go to the two services at the satellite church, come back, eat lunch, go pick up all the kids on the bus that had been coming to church in the morning on Sundays for years. God. So for that, I had to do bus worker stuff. So like leading songs on the bus, picking up trash, helping coordinate a bunch of kids, keep everybody safe. Then we would get to church. And once we got to church with the bus kids, I had to teach Sunday school. I started out with the toddler and kindergarten class, but then I got promoted. And I think I had the first through fourth grade girls class a bit. My memory is a bit hazy. I know I had a larger Sunday school class because I would have up to 20 kids that I was responsible for as like a 14 year old. Jesus, man. That's (laughs) the stress. God. So I had to prepare a lesson during the week. I had to study my lesson. I had to plan out what songs we were going to sing in class, plan out any games that we were going to do in class. When we had spring program or fall program, I also had to design a contest for my class and run that contest. Just like any other spring program contest, I had to do that. Man, it's just one thing after another. What if you get stuck in traffic or you, or you can't get across town because the bus doesn't get back in time? You just jump in when you get there and work faster. <laughs> my, the way, like the way my dad was organized, he had all these fail safes and plans for if something went wrong in this incredibly complicated and delicate schedule. So we, everybody who was involved in church work, like my entire family, but also, uh, you know, assistant pastors and deacons and other church leaders, we all knew what our roles were if things were going right, but we also knew what we had to catch up on if things went wrong somewhere in this process. I just can't imagine this whole endeavor not falling apart completely if one thing is out of place. It's just too much. It's like such a Jenga tower. Well, that's that's due. The, the fact that it worked really well most of the time is due to my dad's ridiculous organizational skills. So you guys are... You guys ha- have a church building that you guys own. Yes. And then you're renting out a YMCA as well every week. Mm-hmm. Ha- like so and so how many people are coming to each service? Like what's what's the total number? Or like how many for each service? At our highest point which is consistent with me being like 15 16 with both services at the YMCA and church service at the old church and or afternoon church for the bus kids, we, between 200 and 300 people all combined between all of that. That's like quite a lot though. Yeah, especially for an IFB church. Like you are a big IFB church once you get to that like over 200 mark, if you can hold that steady. So you couldn't consolidate them into one service and save money. That's the problem because people from the satellite church won't drive to the old church because of the area that it's in. The people from the old church won't drive to the satellite church because they're old. Also, there's not quite enough room for all of the people at once in the sanctuary at the old church 
and there isn't quite enough room at the YMCA for everybody all at once, even if we could get everybody there all at once. And there are just not quite enough members tithing or giving money that giving money to the church to buy a nice new building somewhere in the middle. We would just almost have enough money. And the church looked for buildings to buy. We actually toured at least two or three buildings to buy that I could think of. One of them was perfect. It was in budget and the church could have bought it, but the city wouldn't let us rezone the parking lot for as many parking spaces as we needed. Like that's how close we were to being actually successful in the IFB world. But nobody thought, you know, that Reverend Carpenter, he really shouldn't be running three church services at two different buildings in one day. That's not sustainable. I don't know what the members thought. I was too busy to think about what the members thought. So, okay. So what happens? You've, you've run your, your church services. You've done your, your morning, your two morning. Two morning, sometimes three morning. Okay. So we're at like 1 p.m. on Sunday, which is when we go get kids on the bus. And then I have Sunday school for those kids. Round two, we had the church service for the bus kids around three. I was the piano player for that. And the teen special music group that I was in charge of was also for that, was for uh, the afternoon service for bus kids. And then after that church service, uh, I was also, um, I'm trying to think of the, the fundy word and I can't come up with it. I was an altar worker. That's the word for the Sunday afternoon bus kids service. So if somebody came down during the altar call and wanted to get saved, I was one of the people responsible for making sure they got witness to. After that service, the bus kids got back on the bus to go home. But I didn't go do the drop off on the bus because I had to clean the church. Me and a lot of the other like super involved church teenagers would stay after afternoon Sunday school, clean up everything from the day, clean the bathrooms, wash the windows, vacuum, clean the sanctuary, reset all the school rooms for Monday classes, all that sort of thing. And then that brings us to like 5 p.m. on Sunday by the time all that is done, unless people made a really big mess, in which case we're screwed. I would get to go home for like an hour before church. Usually, honestly, a lot of times I just skipped dinner and slept and it like not for dieting reasons, just because I was more tired than I was hungry. It was just it was one of those situations you can eat, you can sleep or you can look cute for Sunday night church. Pick one, pick two if you're really lucky. So people are coming to both Sunday morning and Sunday night church. Yes, because it's required by the IFB and also Wednesday night. Because why? I mean, why would you even go to an IFB church if you're not going to do three to thrive? Three to thrive? Let's just keep up coming up with these phrases. Well, they used to say three to three to thrive. And then somebody came up with three to thrive for three to survive, four to thrive. When the fourth thing was supposed to be showing up for soul winning or something. Yeah. Moving the goalposts. What if you're the kind of guy who likes the fact that his wife is never allowed to say no, but you also want to watch Sunday night football? You can DVR Sunday night football and watch it when you get home, or you can have a radio and small earphones in church. Did people actually do that? It's a bit of an IFB like meme or joke, but also I have literally seen people do it. I... I, I just do not understand why people would voluntarily sign up for this. I like 
in like unless you were raised in it and you like felt all that guilt and you thought like oh my god like because you get pulled in before you know what all is going to be required but i'm not even done with my sunday schedule yet god how god like what like what else could there possibly be uh so we had this thing called young fundamentalists before sunday night church i actually i almost forgot this thing it just jumped into my head while you were talking i almost forgot this entire extra hour of my day uh young fundamentalist was a youth group meeting Sometimes we did games or sometimes our youth pastor had a sermon, but I know it was before Sunday night church. So I guess that Young Fundies was probably at 6 p.m. and then church was at 7. I'm not sure. I think the times must have moved around a few times trying to like find the best time for everyone. But I know we had Young Fundamentalists right before church, and that was our youth group meeting. Sometimes we had youth activities like going bowling with the youth group or something on Saturday night, but that wasn't very often. And then we had night church on Sunday night, kind of the same song and dance. I might be playing piano. I might be interpreting. Usually one or the other. I have something I'm supposed to be doing. Um... I tended to also be really involved for special with the special music for Sunday night. I sang in the teen choir, and if we were going to perform, it was probably going to be Sunday night. Then I was home free, just had to sit through the sermon unless I was interpreting the sermon, and then church was done. I think we had choir practice. So okay, so I so every week we had choir practice, teen choir practice, and Sunday school teachers meeting. I think choir practice was after was after the Sunday night church, which I wasn't involved in. Teen choir practice was before the Wednesday night church, which I was involved in. And then Sunday school teachers meeting was the Wednesday night after church, which I did also have to go to. I could have all of those times mixed up. I know we had those three things every week and I had to attend two out of three. Anyway, uh, by 9 p.m. on Sunday night, I was all done. <laughs> I could go home. Uh, I'd eat something if I didn't have any time for dinner after cleaning the church and then pass out because I had school the next day. So am I right or wrong in assuming that it was tougher on you because you were, you were a pastor's kid? It's, that's correct. This was just what you did if your dad was the pastor. You were basically unpaid church staff, but with little to no authority. It It wasn't, and this wasn't, this is certainly not like a my family specific thing. This was just what pastor's kids did. And then some pastors would exempt their children from this because they wanted their kids to have a more normal life. But this was the standard of what you do if you're a pastor's child. Missionary kids also very much did this level of work for their dad's mission churches as well. But did your parents knew, I mean, it must have been hard on them. They must have known how hard it was on you. They knew it was difficult for us, but the way it was sold to them was this is the best possible thing for your children. They were told, like, this is this is great for your kids. You're going to keep them out of trouble. You're going to raise kids with character. You're raising the next generation of great Christian workers. Your kids are going to do great things for God when they grow up because of all this experience and training. They're so lucky to get to be in a pastor's family and get to do this kind of work for God as young people. And when they grow up, they're going to love you and thank you for every bit of it. Like That's what my parents were told. They were told that this was an amazing opportunity for us, and we were so lucky to get to do it. So, yeah, like they knew it was difficult for us to work like this, but they they didn't know how difficult because we weren't allowed to express resentment or complaining or even 
even saying I don't want to do something is rebellion. So we didn't express to them like how messed up it really was. And they without they didn't hear from us. So they kind of assumed it was fine and they knew it was hard on us, but they didn't know how hard. So it's just like it's a communication gap. God, yeah, because they tell you you can't communicate. Yeah. Because Jack, I remember in Jack House, we had that quote where he said that you want to keep distance between you and the people. Yeah. E- like even your even your wife, like save your emotional intimacy for God. So my parents, like they were told this is great for your kids. Your kids are so lucky. And if they complain, they're just rebellious and not not giving in to God's plan. And we were told you're so lucky if you complain, even in your own mind, much less out loud, you're just not giving into the Holy Spirit. So we didn't communicate until we were all grown about how hard it was. And a lot of times my parents didn't like, I don't think my parents knew that we were cleaning the church on Sunday afternoons. I think they thought, really, yeah, there was something big like that, that I was doing that they didn't know I was doing. Like they thought I was relaxing or hanging out with friends or something. Because they thought uh, it was like an assistant pastor or somebody that was telling you that you had to do that, and yeah. your dad was off dealing with some other, doing you know, fire that he had to put out of because he was stuff. A- yeah, I mean, my dad was probably in his mm. office prepping his sermon for Sunday night, and my my mom during. I mean, my mom was like the church accountant during all of this, and she was running so much behind the scenes. By the way, when my mother was a church accountant, she made all financial records public to church members on request. Because she's not dumb and she knows how to be above board. Anyway, um, that one was very free. uncommon that, for the IFB. That one, that one was free. About five listeners know who I'm talking about, um, <laughs> who I'm shading with that comment. Um, but my, they were doing so much. I don't think. I think they just figured if we were at church, we were fine. And they didn't. They had. I don't think they had any clue how much we were actually working. So, but does it, does it ever get to a point where like you reach a breaking point or where somebody reaches a breaking point and then somebody realizes this, this isn't sustainable. We can't keep doing this. It has to change. No, having a breaking point isn't really a thing. I don't think I was aware of having that option short of being in the hospital. There were times when I was just so tired or even as a teenager, I felt like my health was failing but you just you just had to keep doing the thing unless you passed out or died i I guess unless you died because i passed out all the time as a teenager and just kind of had to keep going i i am so upset by all of this like i i don't like there has got to be some way that you make this illegal i think part of it is is better homeschooling regulations because i i don't think that Every IFB kid goes quite this hard by any means. But if homeschooling parents have to report that their children are getting a decent education, if there's more accountability for that, then parents will at least have to give their kids enough school time. And I think that shoring up requirements on churches that claim 501c3 status might also help. Personally, I do think that churches should be able to be nonprofits. But I think they should be subject to the same reporting that other nonprofits are. If you're for profit, you need to pay taxes. And if you're nonprofit, just show that you're nonprofit and don't take don't pay taxes. Fine, whatever. But I think that if that were better reported, maybe teen labor laws could come into play here. I feel like that might be a path 
I am I am a little over my head, so I could be completely wrong. But I feel like if a teenager is only allowed to work for McDonald's a certain number of hours per week, maybe teens could only be allowed to volunteer for a church a certain number of hours per week. Yeah, I God, I can just imagine the blowback if the Department of Education or like the the IRS announces some new like some new rule that says that like teens are only allowed to volunteer a certain like there's going to be people freaking out huge blowback and it's going to be the culture war and and yeah oh my god what i what i want to point out though is that this wasn't forced labor it was but it also wasn't i volunteered for most of this stuff because you just thought it was the right thing to do i thought that the I thought that the church God. depended on it, and I thought that I was supposed to just volunteer until I could not volunteer anymore. And also, like, anyway, if if they made it illegal, like, I know your mom and your family was above board, but also, like, who's going to report those numbers to the government, and how is it going to be enforced? It, right. Well, everybody, just, all the churches yeah. are going to go all Kent Hovind on us. Yeah. And not do it anyway. Yeah, they're going to say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a church. Uh, yeah. my, this is a ministry of God. How dare you tell me that I can't have my kids volunteering and working? This Like, I don't I, I, I think every time you tell me about this, this makes me so mad. Kids need to be allowed to be kids. So I, and- I really don't have an answer for how this could be fixed. I didn't even talk in this episode about so many extra like special day things that i did for the church like soul winning marathons and candy sales for the school and car washes to raise money for trips and 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 there's so many more things that i could have put in this is just an average week not a hard week (laughs) but i think as chuck gets older there's a balance that i have to think about striking because I don't want to go completely the other way into raising 14 years from now a teenager who doesn't have any personal responsibilities. Because that's how I don't think that's how you make good citizens. I hope that I can learn from the past and strike a better balance with her. But if I seem resistant to sign her up for stuff she's not begging to get into, if I talk about how I will buy her out of a candy sale or a Girl Scout cookie sale, and never let her go door to door. Like if I seem like I want to make life a little too easy on her, mm-hmm. maybe our listeners will remember this episode and go a little bit easy on me. Well, if you have an answer for how we fix this massive problem of all of these kids being horribly overworked and uh, not being allowed to be kids, uh, please email it to us at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Also email us your pride stories uh, so if you are an LGBTQ plus person, please send us an email with your story about uh, if, if you want to tell a story or if you if you want us to tell your story on the air about being raised in a repressive environment and make sure that you include the name that, and pronouns that you want us to use when referring to you uh, so that we may do so respectfully. Anything else, Sadie, before we... No, I, this I I think that's it. I I was just thinking to myself while you were talking, I want to do a follow-up episode on how you recover from this kind of thing. Yeah, that's going to be really, yeah. I don't think this is, I don't know if this is typical to every person who grew up in the IFB. Maybe it is, and I'm going to find out when people comment on this episode, which would be terrifying. 
But I know that a lot of people went through something very similar to this. And I, I, I do want to talk at some point about how you recover. Well, you know what? I That would be a good one to pair with. We had somebody suggest an episode of how do you learn to like date people if you're raised in purity culture and you get Oh, out. I remember that question. I had forgotten that one. That was that's, that's one on the question. list, but it's it's the same sort of thing. So how I, I would I would really like to do a series of episodes like how do you learn X skill? You, you I know, would if love you were to raised, do that. Yeah. If we do that, we have to do how to dance. Oh man, I still don't know that one. <laughs> I'm bad at dancing. I could do the horror. I I can get in the chair and have other people lift me. Um, and I can do Soldier Boy. So uh, I that's, am. That's it. Uh, I I didn't really learn how to dance. I'd more just learned how not to care. That works too. Uh, I would anyway. love to do a how-to series though. That, that sounds like fun. So this episode was a bit dark. I just wanted to end it on a little bit more of a positive note. Well, we have another really dark episode next week where we talk Woo-hoo! about basically the same thing, but but college. You know, it's like 21 Jump Street versus 22 Jump Street uh, and all those jokes about how it was the exact same thing over and over again. Next week, we're going to talk about basically what a day in Sadie's life was like when she was a student at Hiles Anderson College. College in quotation marks because <laughs> it's not really much of a school. Yeah. Uh, Sadie... Uh, oh yeah uh, you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod Sadie do you want to plug your social media yep you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One that's numeral one and you can follow me on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N thank you so much you guys have a great day bye bye but oh Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.